Romans 8, verses 1 through 13. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. <clears throat> for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the past is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh do not please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have to obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you both for reading. Uh, before I start, uh, I also want to acknowledge that um, if you're following the news, you know that with the end of Title 42, uh, things are happening just a few miles south of here, um, are some real needs. And I know there's a lot of politics involved in that, but at the end of the day, these are uh, image bearers of God and uh, many, uh, perhaps brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, so this coming week, we're, we'll sit down as a staff and figure out uh, ways that we might be able to be involved for those of you that want to do that. Uh, Hope for San Diego, our ministry partner, uh, sent out an email on Thursday, I think it was, or Friday. And if you don't get Hope for San Diego's emails, you should. Um, and we'll try, uh, Chad, if you could just make a note, we'll, we'll forward that email somehow this week so you can see the ways that Hope for San Diego uh, is listing also uh, to be able to help. Uh, so just kind of keep that in mind. All right, let me pray for that and for this, and then we're going to jump in. Uh, our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you, you are the God who oversees the movements of peoples around the world. Uh, you oversee our movements and the movements of people as they migrate. Uh, Lord, we know we're not blind or foolish to the fact that there are a lot of political divisions about uh, immigration policies in our country. But what we know, Lord, is that many of the people 
uh, that are at our southern border right now are seeking a better life uh, and are fleeing really horrible disasters and really horrible tragedies. Uh, so, Lord, help us uh, to be compassionate uh, and sit in the tension uh, of, the, of the legal realities. And uh, we pray for our political leaders that you would give them wisdom to know how to navigate this uh, and come up with, with uh, just and kind uh, immigration policies uh, to address these issues. Uh, Lord, we are people of the Spirit, and so even now as we uh, jump into this particular passage and the amazing things that you teach us about what Jesus and what your Spirit have done in our lives, we want to hear from you. So please speak to us in uh, your Son's name we pray. Amen. So what we're going to do for the next three weeks, kind of a little on-ramp to, to thinking about Pentecost. So Pentecost is the Sunday where we celebrate that God's poured out uh, the Spirit, his, his powerful presence, uh, into the lives of his people, both as individuals and as a church. So we, uh, we believe that there is one God. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We believe that there's one God, but we believe that this one God exists eternally in three persons. And the primary way in which this one God has revealed, been revealed to us in Scripture, especially through the work of Jesus, is as Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, and so we use those terminologies. Those, those become, have become, uh, for good reason, uh, the primary ways in which we refer to this triune God, this three-in-one God. Uh, now, in our tradition, the tradition that we're a part of, the tradition that this church is a part of, we put a lot of emphasis on the work of Jesus, the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Uh, we talk about what his, uh, the implications of what he came to do on earth all the time. We spend a lot of time talking about the Father, uh, the first person of the Trinity. Uh, often we refer to him, uh, to, to, uh, to him as God. Him as God. Um, we don't spend as much time in our tradition uh, talking about the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and, and the reality is that, like, for me, you know, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican in Latino tradition, church traditions, right? The Holy Spirit is a very important part of the Latino church. Uh, and so what I've realized over the years is that I, I have needed to make up for this lack of emphasis. Uh, and so I've tried to be very intentional over the years uh, to study and read about the ministry of God's spirit, his powerful presence in the life of his people. Uh, so this is a little area of, of particular interest to me, uh, partly because of who I am and partly because I think it's an area that there's a lot of room for us to grow in. Uh, Romans 8 is like one of those like, you know, marquee passages of scripture when it comes to God's spirit. Like that, that Paul in Romans 8 is laying out like this amazing, there's so much in Romans 8. We could, we could spend weeks looking at everything that Paul says just in this one chapter of Scripture. Uh, and, and, but it's important if you've not been in the Romans Bible studies, which again, we, we invite you to be a part of them as they get ready to start here. We looked at, we actually stopped at Romans 8. And if you, if you were in the Bible studies, you know, right, you go through Romans 6 and 7, and it's like, oh, 
right? It's these heavy chapters that talk about the reality of sin. And, and there's, there are, you know, differences of opinion about what Paul exactly is saying. But what everybody agrees is that when you, when you make it through Romans 6 and 7, you've hit some really hard teaching about the reality of sin in our world. And then you get to Romans 8, and it is, it is uh, like a glass of cold water on a hot day. It is like a view of the Pacific Ocean after an arduous hike. It is like a warm fire on a cold night. It is refreshing and beautiful and comforting. And that's what we're going to spend the, this week, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to be spending looking at Romans chapter 8. Uh, this, is the, this is what we're going to see, right? What we're going to see is that because of God's spirit, uh, because of the spirit's presence in our lives, we can be sure that our release from the power of sin, that uh, the renewal in this life, the resurrection in the life to come, and our relationship with God are secure. Those are the four things that I think Paul is teaching us here. Uh, now, what we want is to know the spirit. Uh, and there's kind of two ways of knowing people, right? Uh, how many of you have ever read a biography of anybody or a memoir, right? When you read a biography or a memoir, you get to know the person that uh, is, is telling the story, the, the, the story whose life is being recounted in the book. Uh, and, and we can easily be satisfied with a biographical knowledge of Holy Spirit. Uh, but what I would submit to you, what I would suggest to you, is that the knowledge of Holy Spirit that Scripture is inviting us to have is a lot closer to the knowledge of a mother to her child than it is to the knowledge that you might have from reading a biography. Uh, and so on this Mother's Day, what I want to do is I want us to move towards knowing God's Spirit in the same way that those of you who are mothers know your children. And those of you who are mother, I'm assuming that resonates, right? Because you know how well you know your kids. Kids, you know, we, all of us who are children know how well we know our moms. That's the kind of knowledge that we want to have. Now, uh, there are four things that we're going to look at. Uh, first of all, we're going to see God's, uh, the Holy Spirit's provision of release in the first four verses. We're no longer under condemnation of the law. Secondly, the Spirit's power of renewal our minds are now set on the Holy Spirit. Third, the Spirit's promise of resurrection. Uh, we have resurrection bodies promised to us. And finally, the Spirit's proof of relationship. We've been adopted as sons. I'm using that word really intentionally. It's actually really important that we use the word sons there. You'll see why later. Um, and you are all thinking at this point, it's Mother's Day and there's a four-point sermon coming our way. No, there's not. Because I'm actually going to split this up. There's so much here that uh, I'm going to preach this over two parts. So this is part one of a two-part sermon called The Spirit-Filled Life. Uh, next week is Ascension Sunday, and so next week we're going to jump to John 16, and we're going to see Jesus makes this really bold claim. He says, unless I go to the Father, I can't send the Spirit, and it's better for you that I send the Spirit. So we're going to explore what that means. Why on earth Jesus would say something like that? Surely it would be better to have Jesus than some spirit. No, you're going to see why today. All right, so let's jump in. So first of all, we see uh, the Spirit's provision of release. Paul says there is no condemnation. Oh man, you got, this is awesome. Oh, this is going to be great. Uh, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Now, what does it mean to be condemned? Right? To be condemned means that you have been found guilty of something, 
and that the punishment is coming your way. Right? That's what it means to be condemned. Uh, prisoners are condemned. They're about to face the consequences of whatever it is that they have been found guilty of. Uh, and what Scripture teaches, one of the ways that Scripture talks about uh, the human condition is using a legal language, and it talks about the reality of guilt. So, for example, James chapter 2 says this. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So, so the teaching of Scripture is that you can, you and I, we can, we can literally follow every rule. And if we break just one rule, we're guilty of breaking all the rules. Uh, now, part of the reason is because we never break one, any of the commandments without first breaking the first commandment. So we're always guilty of breaking multiple commandments. Uh, and the first commandment, for those of you that are wondering, is you have no other gods before me. Uh, so how is it possible, then, that w- there's no condemnation? If, if, we are, if we do the slightest thing that's wrong, and we're guilty of the, breaking the whole law, if it's an all-or-nothing endeavor, then how on earth can there be no condemnation? Like, how is that even possible? Well, Paul tells us in the passage, he says, what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We could literally just camp out on these two verses the rest of the day. Um, what, what, this pa- what these two verses are telling us, so now, now notice first of all, you have God, you have Jesus, you have spirit, all mentioned to us in these two verses. So right here, we're like sitting in the middle of this Trinitarian exposition of what it is that God has done for you and for me. Uh, And so what's happened is that God's plan is that Jesus was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. And that, and that means that Jesus was, became a man. He was born. The second person of the Trinity became a little baby born of Mary and grew up to be a man. But he, he, even though he was born in the likeness of sinful flesh, he never sinned because verse 4 tells us that he fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law. And that what God did is that says that God made him to be a sin offering. So in other words, Jesus dies on the cross. His death on the cross is the act that God uses to take the condemnation that would have been yours and mine and it's placed on Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here. What he's telling us is that Jesus is, is the one who takes the condemnation that is ours. But what he's also saying is that the Spirit is the way in which that gets applied to you. Because he goes on to talk about the fact that he says that we are the ones who live in accordance with the Spirit. So God's Spirit. So this isn't just what the Father's doing and what the Son is doing. This is also what the Spirit is doing because the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, are working together in order to be able to say there's no condemnation. Now think about it. There's no condemnation. So, so think about your past. Think about your past. Think about the things that bring you grief, that bring you shame, that make you angry, 
Think about the things that you're like in the back of your mind, you're wondering, is God still holding this over my head? There's no condemnation. God has wiped it away. Think about your present. Uh, The reality is that all of us in this life, right, we all who claim to follow Jesus know that with our thoughts, with our words, and with our actions, we do things we ought not to have done, and we don't do things that we ought to have done. This is the reality of our life. There's no condemnation. It's wiped away. Past, present, future, right? Do you remember the movie Minority Report? Remember that? Some, some of you are like, what are you talking about? Old Tom Cruise movie, okay? Um, and the, the basic premise of the, of the movie was that um, a minority report was a, a someone, this computer could, could determine what someone was going to do in the future and the person would be arrested before they were able to commit this potential crime. And Tom Cruise was one of the officers that would arrest these people, but then he has a minority report on him. And so the whole movie is basically how he gets out of having the minority report. Uh, But the premise of the movie is that it's a hypothetical reality, right? You're not sure it's going to happen, but the computer says it's going to happen. God is not... God does not work in minority reports. He actually does know our future. He actually does know every possible variation that could happen in the future. He knows every sin you are going to commit before you commit it. There's no condemnation. Isn't that amazing? There's no condemnation. And so what that means is that, that the voices that would say... You're not good enough. God's not going to love you. You can't be forgiven. All of those voices are silenced because God's spirit testifies to our hearts. There's no condemnation. That that's the work that Holy Spirit does. Uh, Verse 34, 834 says, who then condemns? No one. You say that? Say, say, no one. Who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God is also interceding interceding for us. The risen and ascended Jesus is interceding for you and he has sent his spirit to us, to you, to me, in order to testify to our hearts that there's no condemnation. Amen? So this is why, a little, little sidebar here, this is why we believe you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation because anything that could condemn you has been taken care of. Right? Your salvation is secure because at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with you and me but it has everything to do with what the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have done in order to make our salvation secure. There is the, the, uh, the provision of release. No condemnation. That's the first thing. 
The second thing, which is the only other thing that we're going to look at this morning, is the Spirit's power of renewal. Now, if you have the passage open, what are the two words that jump out more than any in this passage? If you actually look at the 17 verses, we only read the first 13, but if you look at Romans 1 through 17, if you happen to have a Bible open, what are the two words that jump out the most? Come on. Give me the next slide. They are... Flesh, actually, it's not the next slide. Never mind. I didn't put that slide in. They're flesh and spirit, right? Flesh, let me get my numbers right. Flesh appears 12 times in those 17 verses. Spirit appears 14 times in those 17 verses, okay? So they're important words. Now, little rabbit trail here because the reality is that probably most of us, as the passage was being read, kept hearing the word flesh, and, and the, the question is like, what's he talking about, right? What is, why is he using, that's a strange word. There are two words that Paul uses um, to talk about the physical human body. Uh, the, word, uh, the word that we often is translated body, and then this other word that is translated, that's flesh. It's, it's, uh, um, so sometimes when the word flesh is used, it's talking about the physical human body. So it's talking about, you know, all flesh, you know, heard this, or all flesh heard that. It's basically like every person, every human heard this or did that. The second way in which the word flesh is used is in the more in the moral or ethical realm. Uh, and that's how it's being used in Romans 8. And in Romans 8 in particular, the emphasis is on people who are standing in opposition to God. So flesh is synonymous with those who are in opposition to God. So here's the juxtaposition. Here's the contrast, right? Flesh 12 times, spirit 14 times. 12 times he is talking about those who are in opposition to God, and 14 times he is talking about those who are filled with God. See the, you see the contrast? Okay. And so the contrast that he's making then is very, he says this, those whose minds are set on the flesh and those whose minds are set on the spirit. Do you know that what you set your mind on will affect how you live? Do you know that this is true? Yeah? So this week, uh, this week we had this little snafu with a, with a, box that was supposed to be delivered to our house. I don't remember. I think it was Tuesday. This box was supposed to come to our house Monday night. It didn't show up. Kate goes online, uh, and it says, no such address exists. So she calls the post office. She's online. 30 minutes later, uh, she's told, you got to go to the post office. You have to show proof of ownership and something else. Uh, And you're like, come on. What? So then I go to the post office. I'm on my way to work. Asher's coming with me. He's waiting in the car. I'm in the post office. I'm waiting 30 minutes uh, because they got to track the passage. They got to call the, the, the delivery person. And the, and the manager says to me, I think what happened is that it got to the end of the day and the delivery person uh, didn't have time to do it. And so they just said, Uh, address doesn't exist. They shouldn't do that, but they do it all the time. Well, now I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Incompetence, laziness. My mind was set, right, on this person being incompetent, lazy, and setting out to ruin my day. Uh, So I'm like all ready to call and like, you know, complain. 
And then I'm in the car and I'm talking to Kate on the phone, hands-free, uh, talking to Kate on the, in, the, in, the, in the car and we hang up and Asher says to me, maybe she just made a mistake. Oh. <laughs> Needless to say, my mind was set now in a different direction. Uh, how your mind, what you set your mind on, right, affects how you live your life. This is, this is like Bible 101. Yeah, we have all these books. People are now talking like mindset coaches. Yeah, you know what? It's all coming from biblical wisdom. Psalm 1, right? She who meditates on God's law will not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But her delight is what? Her delight is in God's law. She sets her mind on God's word, and therefore, she lives a life of holiness. She lives a life where she is a tree planted by streams of water who bears fruit. What you set your mind on changes the direction of your life. All right, that's all background to see what Paul says here. Because what Paul says here blows my mind. What Paul says here is, this is what he's not saying. He is not saying here, in these verses, he is not saying you should not, as a Christian, you should not set your mind on the things of the flesh. He says that other places. In fact, in verse 13, he will say, be mindful of how you live. Be mindful that you do not live according to the flesh. But in these verses here, in verses 5 to 8, what he is saying is that your mind is already not set on the things of the flesh. That your mind has already been set on the spirit. That blows my mind, right? That already something, when God, when, when the risen and ascended Jesus goes up to heaven and he sends his spirit down, right, that what happens to you and me is that there's this change that happens inside of us and it is so drastic that Paul can actually say already your mind is not set on the flesh. But your mind is set on the spirit. Right? Yeah, amen, right? But here's the thing, right? You and I know, we think about our lives and you're like, how is that possible? Right? And uh, I, I debated really hard about whether or not to try to ease the tension. And I decided, no, we need to sit in the tension of that. We need to sit in the tension of this already and not yet dynamic that Scripture gives us. It is true that your mind is already set on the things of the Spirit, even as Paul warns you, do not live in accordance with the flesh. So what happens is, right, that there is this, that there is this renewal that Spirit brings about. There's this renewal that Spirit comes so that if your mind is set on the flesh, what Paul says, that that leads to death and it leads to hostility with God. But if our minds are set on the Spirit, Paul says, that leads to life and peace 
And then what's really interesting, because if you read the passage and you kind of follow the logic, he says, you know, if you have your mind set on, this, on, on the flesh, it leads, to, it leads to death and hostility with God. But if you have your mind set on the spirit, it leads to life and peace. And then it's like he drops the, uh, the, the last part of the argument he's making. You're like, well, what does that do to my relationship with God? And what happens is you gotta, you gotta keep reading and you got to get all the way to verse 17, or 16, 14, 15, 16. You got to get all the way to the end where he says, You've been adopted. But we're not going to talk about adoption. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. So there's this, there's this thing that happens to us that the Spirit does on the outside of us, right? No condemnation. And there's this thing that the Spirit does inside of us our mindset changes. Our, th- our mind is now set on the things of the Spirit. Uh, there's this little girl who uh, got, went to, you know, one of these big box stores with her mom one day. Uh, and as her and her mom were walking into the store, uh, the mom said to her, because she knew her daughter, the mom said to her, now, we're going to go into the store. Stay close to me. Don't, don't wander off. Uh, if you do, you're, you know, you're going to have a consequence. Uh, and, you know, but this little girl, she's like, oh, man, that saw a toy that she really liked. And she got a little distracted. Uh, and next thing you know, she was by herself. Mom had disappeared. She didn't know where her mom was. And instantly, this little girl uh, is thinking, oh, I'm in trouble. But then she thought, oh, I'm lost. And she started to cry. And mom was like an aisle over, and she hears her daughter crying, and, and she turns the aisle, and she's walking down the aisle, and the little girl sees her mom walking down the aisle, and the tears are streaming, and the mom comes down. She gets down with her daughter, and, and there's no condemnation. There's not, how dare you? How could you? I told you. But she comes down, and she hugs her daughter, and, and, and so she, and then she, and then this little girl who was thinking, I'm going to be in trouble. So mom says, it's okay. I'm here. I don't know what voices are telling you, you're in trouble, God's going to get you, you're lost, you did this, you did that. There's no condemnation. God sent his spirit, there's no condemnation. I don't know what narratives we are telling ourselves about this or that or the other thing, but those things lead to death. And what, and what the gospel says, what Jesus says, what Jesus has done is that he's given you his spirit and his spirits is life, peace, and being a child of God. Amen, right? Amen. This is what a spirit-filled life is. So often, I remember in my own life thinking a spirit-filled life is something that I had to attain. It's something that I have to do. And listen, there, there are absolutely, there are elements of being a spirit-filled that mask, that not mask, I'm sorry, that flesh themselves out uh, in, in obedience, right? That is true. I don't want to minimize that in any way, shape, or form. But the beginning of a spirit-filled life has nothing to do with what you and I do. The beginning of a spirit-filled life has everything to do with the fact that the risen and ascended Jesus poured out his spirit on you and me so that that word spoken over us, there is no condemnation. That reality of change in our hearts, your minds have now been set on the things of the Spirit, could be true. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.
Gracious God, we thank you that you in your, uh, your, your beauty, your majesty, your love uh, have, have provided your powerful presence in your spirit uh, to, to be with us, to dwell in us, to speak a better word a word that says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A word that says that your minds have been set on the things of the Spirit. The reality, Lord, is that we know as we think of our own lives, that we sit in the tension, that, that those things don't feel true. That, that those things feel at times like fairy tales. And so we pray, we humbly ask that you would please allow your spirit to take these words written by uh, the Apostle Paul and drive them deeper into our hearts so that we might really believe the words, there is no condemnation, that we might really see the reality play out, that our minds are set on the things of the spirit. Uh, And we ask, Lord, that you would use your Holy Spirit to do that. Uh, Amen.